0: week. That uh, last song in particular goes well with the message this morning. And uh, frankly, I had intended to preach the message I'm going to preach this morning last Sunday. And then I had another message for this Sunday that went back to back with the message from last Sunday. But since I was ill last Sunday and unable to be with you, I have this sermon this morning about the basics of the Holy Spirit. And then this evening, the follow-up message, the discipline of responding to the Holy Spirit. Now, we're calling this series, Back to Basics. These are devotional disciplines. These are the habits of righteousness that we build into the Christian life. And even if you have been a Christian for a long time and you're familiar with these disciplines, you're familiar with these habits, you're familiar with these basics, you'll find that it's good to have a refresher. It's a lot like spring cleaning, I grew up in a family. We cleaned pretty much every day. And on weekends, we cleaned extra. So when my mom said to us, we're going to have spring cleaning, I always said, what for? <laughs> we cleaned yesterday and we did extra cleaning last weekend. Why are we having spring cleaning? Now, those of you that are, as my mother is as wise as, as she is, understand that there comes a time when you just got to get into the crevices and the corners. You got to move furniture out of the way. You've got to lift up the carpets and make sure it's even cleaner than normal. And I'm grateful for a mother who raised me to do daily cleaning and weekly cleaning, and then every once in a while do more thorough cleaning. And I'm thankful for a wife who does most of that work for me so I don't have to do it. (laughs) But seriously, seriously, as Christians, sometimes we just need to do some deep cleaning. We just need to make sure we get into the cracks and the crevices and we examine our own heart and see how our relationship with the Lord is. And this discipline of following the Holy Spirit is so important because this is my chief desire for each one of you. By uh, Year by year, I write myself some notes just to keep myself focused, to help myself uh, understand what the important issues are, and to make sure my priorities are right. I call this uh, my yearly priorities list. And let me read to you the top priority from 2022. By the way, if you're ever interested in knowing what these are, they're not a hidden thing. I don't keep them from you. There's nothing secret about them. I don't bring them up usually. But if you're curious what 2023 will be like, you just come see me. Say, hey, pastor, let's sit down. Let's talk. I'm curious what your 2023 priorities are, and I will tell you. But here's my top uh, priority for 2022, and I'm going to read it to you. Develop Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-led Christians. Emphasize love for God, motivating our commitment to holiness. In most churches, the pastor wants to be in control of members' lives. I want the Holy Spirit to be in control of Christians' lives. But that requires that the individual Christian has enough awareness to know what the Holy Spirit wants and enough self-control to choose what the Holy Spirit wants. In too many cases, the church member knows what the pastor wants and the pastor attempts to put enough pressure on the church member to do it the pastor's way. But this is insufficient to the task of the pastor because the pastor cannot always be there to watch, to inform, to advise, and to correct. Here's the key. But every Christian carries the Holy Spirit with him wherever he goes. The filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit are essential to the Christian life. They're essential. The Holy Spirit, if you're God's child, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And He has a relationship with you, whether you recognize it or not. And today we're going to talk about some of those basics of the Holy Spirit so that you know what they are. Now, the whole essence of all of these devotional disciplines, these habits of righteousness, the whole essence of these basics are to walk in the Spirit. Think with me. What was the first uh, devotional discipline that we talked about some months ago now? It was prayer. If you are walking in the Spirit, will you pray? Of course. What was the second one? Meditation on scripture. If you're walking in the spirit, will you meditate on God's word? Yes. Now, two weeks ago, what did we talk about? Giving. If you are walking in the spirit, are you going to give as God directs you? Yes. And we'll talk about Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about a lot of other devotional disciplines. But every one of them requires you to walk in the spirit. Doesn't it require you to try harder? doesn't require you to check in with me or check in with someone else as much as it requires you to walk in the Spirit. So why don't we like to talk about the Holy Spirit? Uh, Scotty and I were chatting this week, and it's almost like talking about the Holy Spirit is, is uh, an electric rail, and if you touch it, you're going to get shocked. And the reason is very, f- frankly, because first of all, Americans, all Americans, we like to talk about what is empirical, to be empirical means we can, we, can, we can absorb it, we can sense it with our five senses. Sight, and smell, and taste, and touch, and hearing. We like empirical things. We like things that are measurable. We like to measure. Uh, my family right now, we're looking for a house. We've, we've sold our house, and I think we've got all that tied up. But what do you do? You go into a room, and you like to know, how big is the room? So you take measurements. You ask, how many square feet is this house? And you think about how that fits with your lifestyle and who's going to be living with you. By the way, the reason we're moving is because my parents are coming down to live with us. Uh, Lord willing, they'll be here by the middle of December and we just need more space for them. So we like what's measurable, but how do you measure the Holy Spirit? I don't even think there's a measurement for that. So it's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit. But the second reason, and this is among Christians, the second reason that it's so hard for us to talk about the Holy Spirit is because there is so much false teaching about the Holy Spirit that's not based on the Word of God, but that's based on men's experiences. And just in the last month, this happened to me. I was listening to a a podcast, uh, two men that I respect, I have a lot of respect for, both of them Christian authors, have a lot of respect for them. I've read their books. In some cases, I've even quoted from them. And then they were talking with each other on this podcast, and one of them began to share an experience that he had in the Holy Spirit that is nowhere mentioned in Scripture. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Well, I shouldn't say nowhere. There is one mention of it. (laughs) But it's rather obscure. And I'm thinking, what what is he doing? He's building his whole doctrine about the Holy Spirit based on his experience rather than what the Word of God says. So... We're going to look at this um, matter of the Holy Spirit this morning, and there are some issues that I'm not going to deal with at length. But because they're so common in our society, and because the Scripture deals with them so plainly, I want to mention three misunderstandings, common misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit that we're just going to touch on today and move on. And if this is one of your uh, misunderstandings, something you really struggle with, I'd be glad to sit down at length. Take an hour or two hours and search the scriptures with you and see what they say. Here's the first common, and and this is not the topic of the sermon, we're just getting to the basics, but before we get to the basics, let's move some things to the side that we're not going to deal with today at length. The first common misunderstanding that many Christians have about the Holy Spirit is that they believe that an evidence, perhaps the chief evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit, is to speak in tongues. In fact, I've read... Doctrinal positions from churches that say, if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit or you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. Now, that is a false teaching. And I can show it to you. I'll just show it to you and we'll move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn with me. I I told you we get to Romans 8. We will. But let's go first to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to show you a couple verses here that helped me with this topic as I searched the scripture for myself to come to my Uh, understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Verse 29, he's going to ask some rhetorical questions Let's answer the rhetorical question, okay? Rhetorical question number one, are all apostles? And the answer is no. Rhetorical question number two, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Even in the early church, there were Christians who spoke in tongues, And there were Christians who didn't speak in tongues. So if you've ever been taught that if you want the the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you want all of the Holy Spirit you can have, you will speak in tongues, you've been taught incorrectly. And again, if you want to take an hour, two hours, five hours, (laughs) there's a lot I have to say about this topic. And I thought about preaching on this topic first, but I'm just going to set that one aside. Can we do that? Nod your head. Okay. If you want to talk about it again, I'll be glad to go into detail with you. The second common misunderstanding that many Christians have about the Holy Spirit, and I've heard them talk about it with me, I've had them talk about it with me, many, many Christians mistake the filling of the Holy Spirit with some unexplainable euphoria. There's some thrilling feeling that they associate with being filled with or baptized by or in the holy spirit. And when they're missing that feeling, they feel like somehow they've lost some piece of the holy spirit, and if they have that feeling, they they sense that the holy spirit is dwelling inside them. Again, let me show you scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's just look at verse 8. Paul is writing again, Corinthian church, and he says this to them in 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, does that sound like Paul had a feeling of euphoria? I don't think so. He's trying to explain to them we were under a tremendous amount of pressure. It was one of the most stressful times in my life. And I believe he was filled with the Spirit. The problem was the circumstances were pressing in on him. So if you are lacking that euphoric feeling, that thrill that you once thought that meant you had the Holy Spirit, don't give in to your feelings. Trust God. God says the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's that comforter who's always with you. That's why we sing that song. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And as we saw in John 14 verse 16, it's because Jesus promised that other comforter would come and live within us. Here's the third common misunderstanding. We'll set that one aside now. Here's the common, uh, the third common misunderstanding, and that is many Christians believe that to be filled with the Spirit means that miracles happen so that your life is made easier. And so when life gets hard, when obstacles arise and you pray about them and the obstacles don't go away, when, 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 when illness comes and you pray for healing, but you just get sicker, when there's a financial pressure and you, and you tell God, this is what I need, and God not only doesn't supply it, but there's another unexpected bill. They feel like somehow the Holy Spirit is, is quiet. He's not at work. He's not active. But again, that's not the truth. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 now in verse 5. And I, I'm just cherry picking. Yes, I know. Again, if you want to take some hours and go through case by case, verse by verse, I'd be glad to do that with you. But notice what Paul says about his own ministry in 2 Corinthians 6, 5. He says, in stripes... That means he was beaten. In imprisonments, he was thrown in jail. In tumults, now I don't know if he's referring exactly to this one, but Ephesians chapter 19 tells us that in the city of Ephesus, some people were so threatened by Paul's ministry that they started a riot. In tumults, in labors, hard work, in watchings, he he means there's things going on and we had to pay careful attention to avoid danger In fastings, I don't think he was fasting simply because he was trying to be spiritual. I think sometimes he fasted because there was no food to eat. And he says, that was our life. What happened? Did the Holy Spirit abandon Paul? No, no. No, no. The Holy Spirit was there the whole time. Don't think that the Holy Spirit being active in your life means that all your problems go away. Because they don't. The difference is when the problems come, the Holy Spirit comforts me. He advises me. He calms me. He says, just wait. Wait on the Lord. Those are three common misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit that I'm going to set to the side. I've addressed them briefly. If you have further questions, be glad to sit down and talk with you at length about those. But how can we avoid, even as independent Baptists, we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. How can we avoid talking about the Holy Spirit when our goal is to develop spirit filled, spirit led Christians? I think a, a humorous story that helps explain my attitude now towards talking about the Holy Spirit is about the miller. A miller is a man who grains, uh, grains, grinds grain into corn, uh, grinds grain into wheat. No, grinds grain into flour. I'll get this right. I'll get this right. A miller grinds grain into, into flour. Could be wheat flour, could be other grains, but grinds grain into flour. There's a story about a miller and his son, his teenage son, and a donkey. And they were headed to town, so the miller got on the donkey, and his son was walking beside him. And the people along the way said, he's a cool man Why riding the donkey while he makes his son walk. So the miller got off the donkey, and he put his son on the donkey. And then other people said, boy, what a lazy son. He's riding the donkey while his father walks. So then they both got on the donkey. And people said, boy, those two, that's cruelty to animals. Somebody call PETA. So they both got off the animal. And then other people said, those idiots, what do they have a donkey for they aren't going to ride it? So finally, they picked up the donkey and they tried carrying the donkey. (laughs) Somebody's always going to be unhappy. And I don't preach on the Holy Spirit to make you unhappy. And if you are unhappy, I'd like to hear about it. I would. I'd like you to come talk to me about it. Um, Recently, I preached another message, and somebody came and said, so-and-so is offended at your message. I wish so-and-so would come talk to me. I'd be glad to talk to you. Let's open up the Word of God and see what it says. So we're going to step back from this discipline of the Holy Spirit Uh, discipline of responding to the Holy Spirit to first talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. We call this basics of of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to use two phrases today that you're going to see uh, in scripture that I believe are nearly synonymous. So I may use them interchangeably. One is called walking in the spirit. This is from Galatians 5 and verse 16, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a second phrase that occurs in the Bible that I believe is nearly synonymous, and that's from Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So if I talk about being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, understand they're they're basically the same thing. They're different aspects. You're looking at this work of the Holy Spirit from different directions, but they're about the same thing. Now, as we get into these basics about the Holy Spirit— let me start by mentioning, and I have text for all of these. I'll just give you the text. You write it down. You study it later. But the first thing to remember is the Holy Spirit is one person of the Godhead. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We use a theological term that's not found in the Bible for that. We call that the Trinity. One God, we say, in three persons. Now, there's a reason we choose the word persons, This study about the Holy Spirit is very dear to me because there are several times in my life where I bumped up against a rock wall or ran into the rock wall full speed. And I had to go back to my Bible and say, what in the world are we doing? Because when we got to Mongolia, the word for person was whom? Which is human being. And you can't call the Holy Spirit a human being. Now, you could call God the Son a human being, right? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Amen. But God the Father isn't a human being either. So what word are we going to use in Mongolian to talk about being a person? So I had to go back to the scripture. Why do we call, in English, why do we call the Holy Spirit a person and God the Father a person and God the Son a person of the Godhead? And the reason is because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have personality Look with me now at Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we'll get to our text. I'm going to read to you verses 26 through 29, and then we're going to go back and look at verse 26. Romans eight twenty-six. likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I'd be wrong to go any further without praying and asking for the Holy Spirit's help with this. Father, thank you. For sending your Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to be a guide, to teach us things. We ask for your Holy Spirit's help today as we look at this scripture to have the correct understanding and then to see the application to our own lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So go back now to verse 26 and notice that the Holy Spirit has a plan. He has a will. He has intention. He does. He has he has a plan he's going to work at. It says that the Holy the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's what the Holy Spirit's work is. That's what he's doing. He sees where I am weak. And he tries to buttress that area. He tries to strengthen that area. He tries to help me in that area. He sees where I lack wisdom and he he wants to give me wisdom. He sees where I lack strength and he wants to give me God's grace. The Holy Spirit helps my infirmities. He has a plan. And today, as we talk about walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, I want you to understand that walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is not about me getting what I want. It's about the Holy Spirit getting what He wants. And He has a plan. The goal of the Holy Spirit's plan is expressed in Romans eight twenty nine, where it says, to be conformed to the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit is constantly working to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. When those difficulties come, when those financial pressures come, when those relationships get broken and I don't understand why a family member or a dear friend is so angry with me or won't talk to me or is bitter toward me. When when those instances happen or they treat me unjustly and I'm I'm tempted to be bitter at that other person. When illness comes at just the wrong time and it doesn't get better, when you go to the doctor and he says, you know, you're going to have to deal with this the rest of your life. And you say, why me? You can be assured that the Holy Spirit is there to help your infirmity, to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has a plan, but also the Holy Spirit is intelligent. The Holy Spirit is a thinking being. He's not inanimate. He's not just a power that just functions according to some rules. He has intelligence. How do we know that? Look again at verse 26, Romans eight twenty-six. Likewise, the Spirit also helped with our infirmities, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. What's implied there? Who knows what we need to pray for? The Holy Spirit. In fact, what does he do? Then he pleads for us. He intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit is intelligent. He knows what we ought to pray for. And then finally, as we look at this idea that the Holy Spirit has personality, he has intention, he has a will, he has a plan. He has intelligence, He can think, He knows things. Number three, he also has feelings, He has emotions. How do we know that? Again, Romans 8:26, "But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Why is the Holy Spirit groaning? on our behalf as he intercedes for us. What is paining him? Is he in physical pain? No, he doesn't have a body like you and I have a body. There's nothing that can injure the Holy Spirit. He's groaning because he feels for us. He feels for us. He has feelings. And because the Holy Spirit has personality, then we ought to treat him as we treat people. Now, he is not a human being. Don't misunderstand me. That's why the word hung in Mongolian is not acceptable to describe the Holy Spirit. He's not a human being, but he does have personality. And then that means we can have a relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is not a power to be harnessed like a hydroelectric dam. One of my favorite things is waterfalls. Second favorite thing is hydroelectric dams. We recently went down for a family vacation to to um, uh, Southern Nevada, and of course we have to see Hoover Dam. Or you drive up I-5 and you go over that bridge and you can't see it, but there's a dam that's holding all that water back in Shasta Lake. What are they doing? They're harnessing the power of the river to create electricity. But the Holy Spirit is not a power to be harnessed. Simon Magnus in Acts chapter 8 thought it was a power to be harnessed. And remember, he asked the apostles, hey, I will give you money if you'll tell me how to give this gift of the Holy Spirit to people. He thought it was some power that he could use for his own ends and he would pay for it and the apostles would tell him and then he would be more powerful. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a creature to be tamed like a horse. the Holy Spirit is not an animal, and our key is our prayers are designed to somehow make Him do what we want Him to do. The Holy Spirit is not a creature to be tamed. The Holy Spirit is not a gift to be flaunted. After Christmas time, I remember I'm out there riding my bike in the neighborhood, and some kid comes riding up on a brand new bike. Paint job looks beautiful. The tires aren't worn. Both brakes actually work when you pull on them. Look what I got for Christmas. I got a new bike and he's so proud of it. That's fine. But the Holy Spirit isn't something we're proud of. I hope no one ever walks into this building and says to the rest of the church, look at the gift of the Holy Spirit that I have. Guess what? If you have the filling of the Holy Spirit, you don't talk about it. When you're walking in the Spirit, people know without you saying anything. It's not a gift to be flaunted, and that's what bothers me about our Christian sisters and our Christian brothers who will say, look, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then try to do something out of the ordinary. The Holy Spirit is not a gift to be flaunted. We're going to talk exactly about what He does later today and then again this evening. The Holy Spirit is a He. He is a person, and we have a relationship with Him. And again, when we talk about The Holy Spirit, when we talk about walking in the Spirit, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's not about me getting what I want. It's about the Holy Spirit getting what He wants. If you take one thing away from today's message, take that away. Being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and we're going to talk more about what that means tonight, but it's never about me getting what I want. It's always about the Holy Spirit getting what He wants. Now, because the Holy Spirit has emotions, He can be grieved. Look with me at Ephesians. Hold your place there in in Romans chapter 8, but Ephesians chapter 4. I I mentioned the Holy Spirit has personality. He's he's a person, so he has emotions, and he can be grieved. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30, notice that first clause again. Grieve not The Holy Spirit of God. Well, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? You know, the thing that would come to the American mind is murder. Violence grieves the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, Evil would grieve the Holy Spirit. All kinds of wickedness would grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the passage there to see what grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Proceed out of your mouth. Look at verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Here are the kinds of sins that grieve the Holy Spirit, sinful speech, bitterness, anger, harsh words, malice. Now let me ask you a question, where are you most likely to see these types of behaviors? Where are you most likely to see these types of behaviors? You say on the playground. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. I've, I've worked at a school. Playground's a big source of these behaviors. But not among children. Among adults, where are you most likely to see these behaviors? At work. Somewhere you are every single day. Hopefully not, but I think most commonly these are seen in our homes. That's why I don't need you to flaunt your gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you all do, you're a Christian, and you're filled with the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, it will transform your homes first. And then it will transform how you respond at work. And the people at work are going to think you're a little bit strange because you don't act like everyone else acts. You don't say the same things that everyone else says. You don't get angry when, when unreasonable expectations come down from the boss. You say, you can't get angry if you're a Christian? Well, there is time for righteous anger, and we could discuss that another time. But notice he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Bitterness, evil speaking, malice, these are things you're likely to see on a daily basis. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. When we are unkind in our treatment of others, when we are uh, unkind in what we say to others, when we refuse to forgive, when we demand our rights, this isn't fair, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside each one of us. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 9 together. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. I want you to see the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You can also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 to see this. Sometimes a Christian will say something to me like, um, well, I just need more of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You have as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get. It's that the Holy Spirit needs more of you. He needs more of your cooperation. He needs more of your response to him. Because every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Let me show you again verse 9 here. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Every Christian, me, you, Paul, Peter in the first century, the Christian martyrs, uh, 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 Brother Scotty mentioned in his Sunday school lesson, Hugh Lattimore, Ridley, these men died for their faith. What kept them faithful to Christ right up until the morning, moment of death? Their relationship with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You and I have that same Holy Spirit living inside of us. That same access to the Holy Spirit that they had. So let me recap where we are right now. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has personality. He has intention. He has will. He has emotion. He has intelligence, and he lives inside of you. He's not a power to be harnessed. He's not a creature to be tamed. He's not a gift to be flaunted. He's a person with whom we have communion, we have conversation, and we have constant contact. And I'm going to say it one more time. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, to walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, it's not about me getting what I want. It's about the Holy Spirit getting what he wants. So why is it? What is our problem? that we can't respond to the Holy Spirit. Well, the problem is sin. I can guarantee you that when you were first saved, you were intensely alert to the Holy Spirit in your life. I was just a boy when I became a Christian. Uh, I remember going forward. You don't have to come forward to a service, but I did. I came forward to the service. The preacher took me aside. He opened a Bible. I had been in church services for years at that point. I knew all the details, but guess what I didn't? had not done. I had not believed that Jesus Christ had died for me. I knew he died, and then he rose again. I just didn't think it mattered to me. But that afternoon, early afternoon, as I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I distinctly remember going home, and I have two younger brothers. And what do three boys do in a household? We fight. We've got to be number one. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of testosterone. Even before we hit puberty, there's a lot of testosterone. And I remember getting home. I don't remember what happened. I do remember thinking, this is where I punched my brother. (laughs) But I was also intensely alert that the Holy Spirit said, you can't punch your brother. Christians don't solve their problems that way. Now, why is it that over time, I was not as intensely alert to the Holy Spirit as I was at that moment? The answer is sin. Ephesians 4.30 says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. First um, Thessalonians five twenty quench not. Verse twenty one quench not the spirit. What happens is sin happens. What kinds of sin? Well, the sin we saw in Ephesians chapter four, corrupt communication, evil speaking, malice, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor. Those things pop up in our lives. And rather than confess them as sin, what do we do? We hold on to them. We make excuses for them. We rationalize them. Yes, I got angry, but he made me mad. Yes, I'm bitter, but you should see what that person did to me. Yeah, I said that, and that was unkind, but they said more unkind things than I said. (laughs) Thinking just recently, a Christian admitted to me. I said some things that not even a sailor would say. I'm not sure I'd be proud of that. But you know, as long as we hold on to, I'm right, I had a right to say that, nobody can tell me otherwise, the Holy Spirit remains grieved. He remains quenched, and he doesn't have that ability to work in my life like he wants to. Because I've said, go sit in the corner, and I'll come find you when I need you. Well, the Holy Spirit isn't a power to be tamed, not a, uh, a power to be harnessed or a creature to be tamed. He'll sit in this corner. And you and I are the losers. So you say, what do I do? Okay, I've quenched the spirit. I've, I've grieved the spirit. How do I make up for it? You don't have to make up for it. That's the good news. Why did Jesus Christ die? To pay for my sin. He rose again to show that he has victory over sin. The only thing I need to do when I've grieved the spirit is to admit I'm wrong and that God was right. We call that confession. We say, God, yeah, that sinful speaking was wrong. Forgive me doesn't matter what the other person did. Now, you can pray for the other person, and I do, but you know what God's interested in when it comes to me? My sin. What God is interested in when it comes to you? Your sin. And when we confess our sin, God immediately forgives us, and that relationship with the Holy Spirit is restored. And we can walk in the Spirit, we can be filled with the Spirit just like we were when we were first saved. There's another thing that happens, it's a subset of sin, but but I, I see this a lot. The other thing that, in my own life, the other thing that happens to us that grieves and quenches the Spirit and keeps the Holy Spirit from being the active influence in our life that He desires to be is our own pride. We don't think we really need the Holy Spirit. I've been a father now for 25 years, and I think I know how to handle my children. That attitude will quench and grieve the Spirit. I've been a pastor now for X number of years, and I know how to handle my church members, that attitude will grieve and quench the spirit. I've been working here. I'll tell you a true story. This is funny. I I, I played basketball for a small Christian college, so there was no uh, limit to how many years you could play. And there was one guy on our team. His name was Lyle. And Lyle had been in school for seven years. And Lyle had been playing basketball on our team for seven years. And one day, we were running through an inbounds play. And for those of you that are not basketball savvy, when the ball goes out of bounds, the referee is going to hand the ball to one of your t- fellow teammates, if it's, if it's your possession, and he's going to have to throw the ball in. So there's four players on the court, one player off the court. The problem is the other team has five players. So usually you design a play so that one of your players can get open. And we were there, and I don't remember why our coach didn't intervene, but we were arguing over how the play was to be run. And Lyle said, I've been standing in this spot for seven years. And we said, that's the problem. (laughs) We're so sure that this is the way it's to be done and we're not going to move and nobody can change our minds. That attitude when it comes to the Holy Spirit is why the Holy Spirit is grieved. Why he's quenched. Because our pride says, I know better than the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 5 I'm going to begin quoting or reading in verse 5, 1 Peter 5:5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's what he calls us to as Christians. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And as long as I say, no, no, I, I know what I'm doing, God. I don't need your help. I've got this figured out. Then the Holy Spirit sits in the corner. Not because he couldn't overwhelm us. Not because we've somehow shackled him. But because God and his sovereignty has allowed us to choose the path of sin. If we choose to. And as long as we persist in, I know better than God. The Holy Spirit remains grieved, remains quenched, and we can't walk in the Spirit. We can't be filled with the Spirit. Now I'm going to talk more tonight about what that means to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. But if we can't get past this obstacle, we can't walk in the Spirit. Because again, the Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is not a power to be harnessed. Don't come back to tonight's message and think, you know, preacher's going to tell me exactly how I can get the Holy Spirit to do what I want Him to do. Because to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit is not about you getting what you want. It's about the Holy Spirit getting what He wants. And until we get past this pride, until we get past our sinfulness, and we we get right with God, that is, we confess to God, this is my sin, this is what I've done wrong, forgive me, we can't walk in the Spirit. We can't be filled with the Spirit. We can't respond to the Spirit. And you say, well, what does it matter? Well, it matters because you can't pray like you ought unless you walk in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 18 tells us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You can't meditate on God's Word to any sort of prophet for as long... You cannot meditate on God's Word with any sort of prophet as long as you're walking in the flesh. You're going to find that giving to the Lord, what He asks you to give, is, is not cheerful, not joyful at all. It's a drudgery as long as you're walking in the flesh. And all of the future ones that we're going to look at, you're going to find very hard. These devotional disciplines, these habits of righteousness, as long as you try to do them in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. Right at the top of my prayer list is to ask God the Father to refresh me in the Holy Spirit so that I walk in the Spirit, so that I'm filled with the Spirit today and I prayed that way today, and I prayed that way yesterday, and I prayed that way on Friday, just keep going back. Because I need the Holy Spirit every day. And even in the middle of my days, I run into problems. And I need the Holy Spirit, and I go back to the Lord, and I say, this one, Woo! I have no idea. Lord, this one, I can't, I can't fix this one. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He's praying for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. He cares about my situation more deeply than I care about my situation. But I have to be alert to him. I have to respond to him. I have to say, Come on out of the corner and you take over. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be our co pilot. He wants to be the pilot. He doesn't want to help us. He wants to direct us. He doesn't want to just advise us. He wants us to obey him. We'll talk more about what that means tonight. But as we come to the invitation for this message, let me ask you, is there anything between you and the Holy Spirit that is preventing you from walking in the Spirit, preventing you from being filled with the Spirit? Pride? Some sin? And I don't mean some vague thing, yeah, I probably did something wrong. I mean something you said yesterday, maybe something you said this morning. Have you ever noticed, especially those of you with kids, that your children are the worst behaved on Sunday morning? And that you're the shortest with them on Sunday morning? That's our adversary trying to get between us and the Holy Spirit before we even get here to worship. But you know what? It doesn't take penance. I don't need you to give extra in the offering. I don't need you to come tell me about it. I need you to tell God, you're right. This morning, I responded harshly. I said some things I shouldn't have said. Or yesterday, I was bitter at that person. I was, I'm, I was determined yesterday to hold on to it. Forgive me, Father. I give you that injustice. Whatever it is that's keeping you from walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, I can guarantee you it's not worth holding on to. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He just wants us to say, you're right, Lord. I was wrong. Forgive me. Father, I want each of my sisters and brothers in Christ that are part of Elmira Baptist Church, and I want our our guests As well, to know what it is to walk in the Spirit, to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. It's a delightful thing, Father, when we're going through a culture that is increasingly ungodly, increasingly perverted, increasingly evil, to have the Holy Spirit guide our minds, guide our thoughts, direct our speech, and give us freedom from the bondage of sin. And I thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that you poured out on me this morning, and yesterday, and the day before, and the day before. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that great is your faithfulness. I'm asking this morning for myself and for my hearers that we would respond to the Holy Spirit in identifying and confessing those sins that keep us from responding to your Holy Spirit. The pride in some cases, the lack of awareness that we even need the Holy Spirit, that we even have the Holy Spirit, And certainly, Father, if there's some speech or bitterness or anger or malice or clamor that's been hiding in our hearts, well, it's not really hidden, but we think it's hidden, and you know about it, help us to be frank with you, candid. You already know, but we need to confess it. Give to my hearers a spirit of confession so that they can be right with you. And ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.